Hello and welcome to the First Intuition Student Podcast. My name is David Malthouse and I am not joined by my good friend and colleague Ben Bullman this week. Ben is enjoying a, a lovely evening with his with his good lady wife. He's um, It's her birthday tonight. So instead, I'm joined by regular contributor to the podcast, um, Kelly. So good evening, Kelly. Good evening, Dave. <laughs> so Ben might be having a nice little date night with his wife. Our date night is doing the podcast together because those of you who don't know me, I do go normally by Kelly O'Donovan, um, but... For my sins, uh, do live with Dave, who happens to be my husband. So aren't I super duper lucky? Excellent. There are there are many fans of the podcast that would think themselves lucky right now, Kelly, and are probably imagining themselves in your position. So yes, thank you very much. Um, I've spent this week out and about around the country, so it, it's actually my first day back at home since the weekend. Um, I've been in Leeds. Uh, um, for the past day, um, having a meeting with some of our, our, our team in Leeds. Um, and on Monday evening, I spent my time at the PQ Awards. So, so the PQ Awards are the uh, our industry, so the accountancy training industry's version of the Oscars. Um, I went to, to London and we had a number, I think we had seven nominations in various different categories, um, ranging from um, some of our students have been nominated for newly qualified accountant of the year, apprentice of the year. Um, we had various nominations across the, the different categories. Um, and I'm delighted to say that we won college of the year. So that was amazing. And that was college of the year for first intuition across the entire country. Um, and that was quite a moment because there were 10 of us there and we all piled onto the stage um, to take the awards. If anyone hasn't seen any of the videos or pictures online, you can go and seek it out. And for those of you that have only ever listened to me, you get a glance, get a chance to see me in real life in action. Um, and then the final award, which is the, the, the most prestigious award of the of the night's PQ of the year, which is part qualified accountant of the year, was taken by one of our students, Evie. And I know I think you've taught Evie, haven't you, Kelly? Uh, yes, I have. Yeah. So she was really very, very well deserved to her. So it's great to see her win that. Yeah. So brilliant students. Absolutely amazing to have in class. She's really, really um, engaging in class, loves to ask questions. She's always happy to put her hand up if she's struggling, which always helps other people. Um, I, I was asked what set kind of Evie apart from other students, because I, I could have nominated kind of all of our students because they're all wonderful people. But um, the thing that Evie did was um, Evie's very, very present on social media. So if you look up, I think it's um, just two nerds. Um, uh, their, their Instagram account. Um, she's always on there giving loads and loads of advice to students to help other students as well. So it's really that kind of that, that, that element of her giving back that really set her apart from other people. But this evening's, this evening's topic, um, we're looking at budgeting and personal finance. Uh, this is something that, well, I know Kelly, you, you were telling me earlier that this is something that you were never really taught about. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. I think when I was sort of reflecting on this, you know, sort of show my age, obviously I'm not that old, but um, at school it was never really something that you were, you don't really taught these sort of life skills. So you go into the place of work, you suddenly get this wage, 
And, you know, no one really sort of sat me down and said, this is what you should be doing with your, you know, your pay pack packet. And I think when I reflect back on uh, what I've done with my pay packets, I kind of wish that I had maybe done things differently in the first 20 years of, of work, particularly when I had less commitments. Um, I didn't have children. I was living at home still. So the kind of things I kind of look back on, I say, oh, I wish someone heard, you know, pointed me in the right direction about that and I also grew up in a household where my dad was a head teacher and obviously things like pensions there, there was never really a discussion around that you know for him he was on a final salary scheme so it was very much as long as you work and you know the more you work the older you work to the greater your pension pot would be because it's final salary it was very much about career progression and making sure that you could get to that kind of top salary scale as a head to because that's going to impact you know what your pension will be there was never any sort of discussion around investments and actually I come from a household where my dad was always very prudent you know he didn't he didn't make in investments in shares or property or, or or anything it was just he went to work and his job that he had would secure him this you know permanent salary until the day he dies plus a lump sum on retirement so it wasn't really something that we talked about and I think we were talking Dave as well it's kind of Money is one of those slightly more taboo subjects. It's not really something that my parents said a huge amount about. And again, I kind of look back and think there's things that I, I could have done if I'd known more mm-hmm. 20 years ago. And actually, when you're talking about finance and over a 20 year period of time, that can make quite a substantial difference potentially to to what that that money is money is worth what's your um experience Dave very very similar but I I think that definitely people of of our parents generation so and and it'll probably be you know people that are listening maybe their grandparents generation Mm -hmm. um I, I think grew up in a different time where it that there weren't the same pressures to spend your money that we have now because you know, everyone is out to try and buy stuff. There's a lot more things that are available that are um, expensive, but for convenience purposes. So I can't imagine that, you know, my dad, even if I go back even yeah, 20 years ago, um, you know, when I was kind of like mid twenties, there were barely any coffee shops around the place. Whereas nowadays I can't walk down any street without there being a Costa or a Nero's or a Starbucks. And I'm tempted every time just to pop in and buy a drink. And it's really easy to spend your money in that way nowadays. And I think that people of an older generation didn't have those kind of pressures. Um, you're absolutely right about pensions. You know, it, it used to be the case that you got your job and you were in the work pension scheme. And the work pension scheme always used to be a final salary scheme or, or what we call a defined benefit scheme that basically meant the longer you worked, the more pension that you would get. And the pension would be based on your final salary. So, you know, if you worked for, say, 40 years for the same employer, you would get a pension when you left equal to your full salary on the last day that you worked there. If you'd only worked, say, for 20, not 40, you might get half of your final salary paid to you. And with those kind of pension schemes, it's lovely. You know exactly with certainty what you're going to get when you retire. Nowadays, there are very, very few of those final salary pension schemes that still exist. 
And they, they exist in certain businesses and certain industries. But nowadays, it's down to us as individuals to make sure that we've saved enough money so that when we retire, there's enough money there for us to live on for the rest of our lives, which is a lot more stressful for us. And I think one of the reasons why a lot of people probably bury their heads in their sands a little bit, head in the sand a little bit when it comes to kind of personal finance and managing finances. Um, something I was a bit surprised about is I, I thought that schools had got better with financial education. But I know earlier today, Kelly, we discussed with with Henry, who's the, the resident teenager in our house. And um, we asked him the question, what is it about finance that you would like to know more about? Or that you don't feel that you're you know, well enough equipped to? And do you remember what you came up with? Uh, quite a few different things. Do you want me to rattle them off? Yeah, go for it. He said, I don't know anything about budgeting. So he's going into yeah. the world of work once he's done his A-levels, which will be this September. I don't know how to budget. What is a budget? No idea about pensions. Yeah. Um, something, Dad, you said about I might need to get a credit card because it might help me build credit. I've got no idea about what credit is. Um, yeah. What's an ISA? And I don't know anything about other forms of investment. So yeah, absolutely. absolutely no kind of what I would call core basic financial life skills. Now, maybe that is isolated. Maybe that might just be his particular school. I know there's quite a few banks that are going into school like Barclays and HSBC where they're trying to kind of work with schools to go in and do that sort of social responsibility education around um, personal finance. Yeah. So, Someone said who's joining us live tonight. Um, they they have learned some things, but it's more from computer games than anything they've had from a formal education system. It's, it's crazy, isn't it? Because a lot of computer games have got that in-game economy of buying items, selling items, trading items. And it's it, it doesn't take long for young people that are playing those games to recognise how that economy actually works. Um, so, yeah, I, I completely understand how that would happen. Um, I, I did say to to Henry, it's really it's good that you know those terms though. It's good that you've heard about what an ISA is, what a pension is. It's good that you've understand about what the term budgeting is. And then he said, "Oh, it's only because you talk about them all the time, Dad." So he's heard them. He's heard them from me. And when you know Kelly and I've been discussing them, but he hasn't really had the education from school. And I think that's something that's really missing in terms of school education, um, because you know everyone's going to finish school at some point. When you finish school and you get a job, you might get an apprenticeship, you might go into some other kind of um, some other kind of workplace environment. Every month you're going to get this pay packet. And if you've not had any kind of education about what to do with money, then you know, quite you know, understandably, you're just going to go and spend it, aren't you? You spend it. I was going to say, Dave, sure, that's what you did. That's what I did for the first 20 years. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you just spent it. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of, I've spent the money and, you know, what the first thing we can do is, well, what can I go and buy? I've got this money in my pocket. It's burning Sports a hole car. in my pocket. Sorry? Sports car, holidays. Yeah, exactly. Now, I'm not saying that those things are bad, um, but it, it's kind of, you know, I, I guess the first thing on that list that, that kind of is really should be looked at is, is budgeting because, you know, budgeting, we know, is a financial plan. And I, I think we should all have some kind of budget for our own personal finances. So do you, do you agree definitely? Um, I am the typical accountant, though. I would say this is what we should do. And then do I always do it? 
no um but it's like you say it's like revising for an exam you should have a budget of time that you've got so you look at the day i've got 24 hours in a day what do i you know what am i going to do with those 24 hours mm-hmm. it should really be the same principle that's applied to um our finances so when we are looking it's going to be payday soon i think for, for a lot of people yep. isn't it um, as we come up to the end of the month and um, when we're recording this podcast you know, do do we have a do we have a budget? Do we have a plan? You know, we we learn about it as accountancy, you know, as accountants, as accountancy students. We do it for businesses, don't we? We think about how we budget for um, the companies that we work for. Do we do it enough for ourselves, though? Because the same principle surely can be applied. Yeah, absolutely. And, and building a budget doesn't need to be rocket science. It doesn't need to be really, really hard. All you, in my mind all you need is access to a spreadsheet and access to a spreadsheet is really easy because if you've got a laptop if you've got a laptop or a computer you've almost certainly got some kind of spreadsheet on it whether it is the um whether it's the office suite and excel as we all know and love if you don't have that you can't afford that then google docs got a brilliant spreadsheet you can just open up google docs and you can use that spreadsheet really really straightforward um and you know, budgeting doesn't need to be that difficult. You know, the thing that I always tend to look at with budgeting is that, and this is the same as budgeting for time for exams, there are certain things that you have to spend money on. You know, there are certain things you have to spend time on. So you know, if you pay rent, you've always got your rent. So rent should go into your budget. I'm going to pay my rent. What other bills have you got? Have you got electricity? Have you got a gas bill? Have you got a water bill? You know, have you got payments that you're making because you bought that sofa, you know, kind of two years ago and those payments are still coming out? And all of those things you're legally required to pay, okay, and you need to pay to keep your standard of living, that's got to go into your budget. Now, hopefully that doesn't exceed the money that you're earning. And if it does exceed the money you're earning, then there probably is you know, other help you would need to get. And, you know, where you're in that kind of situation where you're constantly overspending, that's where you may need to get some kind of professional advice. You may need to seek help from citizens advice or something like that. But that would be kind of my first step is what things do I actually absolutely have to spend money on. Um, then I'd look at what you've got left afterwards. What do we do with the bit that's left, Kelly? Well, again, we're not here to give professional um, <laughs> professional advice. Let's put that caveat there. Yeah. Um, I think it's then deciding. It's a bit like time, isn't it? Yeah. What are you then going to do with the excess? So, you know, it's a bit like if I'm doing a study plan, I've got to go to work, I've got to sleep. So I've got all my rent, I've got my bills I've got to pay, I've got my hire purchase on my car, let's say, you know, you've got to do those. But then it's a case of, okay, so how much of what's left do I want to have for fun? And you do the same thing with time, wouldn't you? You know, you've got those 24 hours, actually, it's important to budget for some time for yourself. Are we able to budget some of our financial aspects? for ourselves as well for fun let's say okay and then after that for me it would then be what excess have I got left that I could put into savings yeah absolutely I I 100% agree and so many people when they budget and this is the same for people doing study plans they forget to budget for their fun and if you forget to budget for fun then life's not worth living you know, it's, I know you've, you've said to me, Kelly, that you know, I'm not giving up a holiday. You know, I'm going on holiday, you know, one way or another, but that's something that I'm not going to come back on, cut back on because holidays are things that I really enjoy and they're really important to me. 
and I think that's that's you know, true of everyone. Everyone's got things that they love to do, and you know, I always think you know, make sure you make an allowance for that within your budget. And then you're absolutely right. You you hopefully will then have something else that's left over. And I think you're right, Kelly, in terms of then looking at savings. Okay, how to that? And we're we're not qualified financial advisors. So we're not you know, qualified to give you savings advice about what to do with kind of savings and things like that. Um, but there are various different things that, you know, you could be saving for. So you could be saving for a deposit for your first house. Now, that could be what you're saving towards. You could be saving money because you want to have a pot of money. And I know a lot of people feel comforted by having you know, enough money saved in case they don't work for six months in case they're sick and they're not able to work i'd like to have enough money put by so some people will save for things like that and um, some people will be saving for their retirement you know and, and saving money so that they have enough money when they retire so there would all be reasons why we want to save save our money and obviously you know kelly you and i will be saving for those holidays won't we Hopefully, Dave. I think we need to probably also think, let's say, you know, I've, I've done my budget, you know, I'm very good at budgeting, let's say I've written out my budget, and I, I did that six months ago, I did that 12 months ago, but now my budget, my, let's do variance analysis, my variance analysis, there's a lot of adverse variances there, my actual spend is way more than my budgeted spend because of the cost of living. Yeah. So what do we then do at that at that at that point? Because yeah, we might want this kind of saving for holiday, but actually, as we all know, huge amounts of um, you know mm. the, the rate of inflation around food, obviously fuel's been pretty bad. What, what's your kind of again, we're not giving professional advice here, but how does budgeting then come in when you are seeing those adverse variances come through because of the um what's happening with the cost of living? That's really hard because for, for most of us, we're, we're earning the same amount of money month after month after month, and yet our costs are increasing month after month after month. It, one method of doing that is to build a little bit of slack in your expenses. Now, by saying, okay, well, I know that my grocery bills are, say, £65 a week. Okay, actually, I'm going to put in a budget £75 a week, and that gives me enough slack that you know, if prices go up, then I, I can easily cover those amounts of money. Um, the other things we can do is, you know, accept the fact that inflation is happening, but then is there a way that we can offset that increased cost with an increased amount of money we've got coming in? Um, and you know, we we know, and I think everyone listening to this or watching us live is going to know that the best way for us to do that is at the moment, if we're student accountants, is to progress in our careers because our, our salaries are going to be going up as we pass more exams. The more successful we are in our exams, then the more opportunity we've got to earn money either where we are or with other, in other roles. So I, I would look at, you know, for, for most people studying, the best way to outpace inflation is to increase your earning potential. Now, for people like you and I, Kelly, we've probably reached our, our top level, haven't we? So for us, it's at the moment, inflation is eroding our cost of living and um, there's it, it, not a huge amount we can do because we're not going to get those same big pay bumps that people get when they finish their ACCA exams or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is a good, you know, again, this, this forums, you know, based on our podcast, based on, you know, trying to help those accountancy students. So, you know, is that a motivating tool for you to think, actually, mm -hmm. I've got to get this exam done. I've got to 
get those get those trainers on or as I like to call it get the folder out get the calculator out find that half an hour find that five minutes to start off with and be thinking about why am I doing this what am I what what is that objective what's it going to help me to do I definitely like your point as well that when we're budgeting the kind of budget that we need to put in we almost need to build in a bit of slack so you're kind of almost encouraging from a personal point of view to put in budgetary slack Obviously, when we're talking about businesses and budgetary slack, we might talk about that in more of a negative way. But perhaps it's not actually a bad thing to build in some of that slack. I know one of my friends used to do is she used to do that, building that slack. And at the end of every month, um, the hope was that she hadn't used slack. And then she would choose the underspend that she then had compared to her quite toppy budget. And then she'd put that underspend into um, some savings. Mm. Yeah, that's that's I, I think I think a really good idea. Um, I, I also I, I like your idea of saying building fun in. I think sometimes you just need to put a a, a random amount of money in. I say random, you know, say, well, I'm going to put in, you know, 30 pounds this month as miscellaneous expenditure that I don't quite know what it's on. But I don't want to feel guilty on you know Thursday next week when I go to Costa. I just want to be able to go there and have a coffee and feel actually this is budgeted for. This is something I knew I was going to spend. It's not putting me under extra financial pressure. So being able to build something like that into your budget, I think is really useful as well. Um, but you talked about savings and we mentioned kind of savings a few times. Um, a lot of people tend to think about savings in terms of I'm going to put money into a bank account. And that tends to be where most people consider you know, where we save our money is to you know, lock it up in a, a, a some kind of savings bank account. Um, but as Henry talked to us earlier, there are other types of savings vehicles that are out there. Um, and I can do my, my tax piece. On some I was going to well. say, surely there's an element of us being accountants. There'll be people listening to this podcast on the forum tonight live mm-hmm. where you are doing things like personal tax. Absolutely. And in, in the UK, we've got two brilliant um savings vehicles that give you huge huge tax advantages and henry mentioned mentioned both of them so we'll talk about both of them um the first one is an isa so i'm just checking do you know what isa stands for kelly individual savings accounts Oh, good. I've passed the question. Yeah. Passed the test. <laughs> um, and you know, there are other there, there, are, there are ISAs, there are other types of ISA. So there's a lifetime ISA, which is called a LISA. Um, you've got an ISA, which I call an ISA. You should really call it an ISA, shouldn't you? Um, there's also um ISAs you get for and um, for young children, so junior ISAs. Um, there have been other ISAs in the past as well. So you know, ISAs are, are tax advantaged. Kind of savings account that you can set up and the big tax advantage of an ISA is when you put money into one of these accounts any return you get on that money is tax-free so if you earn interest okay, or the, the pot grows in value then all of that is tax-free so you can put money into your ISA and anything you earn in that ISA is completely tax-free which is absolutely amazing I and mean, when I've spoken to people from the US people in the US are amazed that we have these kind of schemes because they're fantastic as a way of earning money tax-free. Um, in an ISA, you can it, it, it put money in there as if it's a bank account, or if you want to, you can invest money in stocks and shares, 
um, and, and things like that. So in terms of ISOs, I, say, I, I can't advise what type of ISO you should use, but if you have got money that you're saving, I would definitely be looking at an ISA as a method of earning a return on that money, absolutely tax-free. Um, what are your thoughts on ISAs, Kelly? Um, I have had nicer for a, a long time. Actually, that is something that, although I said my family weren't the best at terms of sort of you know discussions and giving advice, that was always one thing actually um, my father did say about in terms of ISAs. He's just very much a saver who likes to have things in cash. So, yeah, so I did know about um, those cash ISAs. Um, so I have had nicer um, for a long time. But as you said, actually, there's quite a lot of different ISAs that are on the market and you can use those to invest in different ways. So, for example, if you're going down the stocks and shares route, you know, you can do that in a tax efficient way by using um, an ISA. One of the other things, actually, he was always keen on. And I better, you know, I'm not a tax tutor, so you have to correct me if I am wrong here. The premium bonds. Absolutely. Yep. T premium bonds. They are um, tax free, too, aren't they? Yes, they are. So premium bonds for people that don't know are there are UK government type of investments. Um, you're giving money to the government. Effectively, you're lending money to the government um, and effectively you're lending it for free. So they're not paying you any interest at all. But what you do is for every bond you buy, I think every bond is, is a pound. Um, but I think you have to buy a minimum of 25 at a time. Yeah. Every bond every month goes into a prize draw. And you can win a prize in value from £25 up to a million pounds. And that prize money is absolutely tax free. Now, you don't win a prize every month. So you can go month after month with not, without winning anything. But on average, I think the payout ratio is at about 3% or so. It might be a little bit more than that now. Um, so they are paying quite a substantial amount of money out in those prizes. And I, I always think of it as it's kind of like playing the lottery but you play you buy your ticket once and you play the lottery every single month with the same ticket and then when you want to stop playing the lottery you can just cash it in and get your money back so it is it's, it's absolutely tax-free in terms of earnings um you're giving the money to the government so it's relatively secure um it's not necessarily the best return that you can get so you, you can get better return in terms of rates of interest elsewhere but but it is entirely tax-free um, so I think if anyone is paying tax at a high rate and is earning lots of interest elsewhere, premium bonds are a really good way of, of getting a decent return and not paying tax on it. I think one of the things as well that we have to think that's different nowadays to years ago, you know, is is, is the level of interest rates. So, you know, someone like my father never used to invest in stocks and shares. It was always very much cash based. But then when you've got an interest rate of 11 or 10 percent, actually just getting interest on cash can accumulate over time. I know you're going to talk about compounding later, but it was, you know, I suppose seen as quite a safe way because it was cash. You're getting a high level of interest. And actually, if you're getting a high level of interest for 15, 20 years, that compounding effect is going to add up to quite a lot. Yeah. We're obviously in a very different time um, nowadays as well. So, you know, it's, it, yeah, again, not here to give financial advice, but it is, I think in some ways it almost feels a bit more complex in terms of how you can get a return for your your money yeah yeah it, it it is for anyone that's not got that kind of financial education it's really tough understanding all these things and you know we're using terms like isa and a lot of i know a lot of people listening will know it because either they have an isa or because they've studied ISAs when they've done tax exams 
Um, but for, for loads of people out there, it's kind of like, I don't even know where to start with these things. And I imagine that Henry, who's had a bit of education from us, you know, he, he probably knows more than a lot of people going that are actually in the workforce right now, earning money right now. Mm, that was a good thing, I think, about training as, as an accountant. And so particularly as you get up the levels, actually doing things like those tax papers do in, indirectly, yeah. you know, help you think about your own sort of personal situation. And so particularly, you know, where we can do things in a tax efficient, efficient way. Yeah. Excellent. Which brings us on to pensions. Um, and what do we know about pensions, Kay? My classic thing was I don't need to worry about that because um, that's what you have to worry about when you're old. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my 20 year old self. Yeah. Which I wish I had known maybe the importance of. Yeah. So current Kelly would like to go back in time to yes. 20 year old Kelly and tell 20 year old Kelly that maybe they should take pension seriously because present Kelly would really appreciate that. I wouldn't need to worry about it as much if I no. just put that little bit of money maybe in the pension rather than on that unnecessary sports car that I bought. Right. OK. You keep referring to the sports car, but it was a nice car. It was, but it, yeah. <laughs> it's a bit of a, bit of a, it's one of those things, isn't it? Before you've got kids and all the rest of it and you live at home and you've got this disposable mm. income. It was fun, but now I'm older, I kind of wish I'd been a bit more sensible. And I think the, the pensions are something that really scare me um, from the point of view that nowadays it's on us to save enough money to provide for our future when we retire. And hopefully, you know, all being well, if we're fit and healthy, we're going to have relatively long lives and there's going to be a long period of retirement. And we need to make sure that we, in our working lives, have saved enough money to provide for our retirement lives. And you know, I, I was kind of talking to you beforehand, Kelly, and said, well, when you retire, you're going to have to have saved enough money to pay yourself a salary. Um, and I, I kind of said, what kind of number do you think? So it, say you were retiring today and you want a nice, comfortable life and you want those holidays and you want the nice things, how much do you think you would like as kind of a, an annual salary to be paid through your retirement? As I said to you, this is actually quite a hard one, isn't it? Even to think about that, because at the moment you think, well, I need X amount because I've got all these bills. But actually, for the point of retirement, hopefully some of those bills like or the childcare costs and the mortgage won't be there. Yeah. So it's actually quite hard to kind of think about it and go, well, actually, what kind of level? So let's be modest ish let's i don't know let's say uh 40,000 i'm gonna i'm gonna be a bit greedy actually yeah 40,000 a year okay so you think 40,000 pounds a year that's enough for you to run a household that's enough for you to run your car that's enough for you to go on holiday and i know you love holidays so that's probably like i do and, and horses as well and things like that yes okay so <laughs> 40,000 pounds now the the next thing we look at is is in terms of retirement, when uh, do you think you're going to retire? What kind of age? Well, it'd be quite nice to retire, you know, 50. So you're going to retire <laughs> at 50. And let's, let's well, imagine... Well, I'm not going to be able to because you're going to tell me now because that 20-year-old Kelly didn't think about what she wanted to do. It's therefore not feasible. <laughs> yeah, so £40,000, 40, you're retiring at 50. Um, let's say you're going to live to 85. Yeah, 
you know, your your parents are, you know, still in in you know good health right now. You've got grandparents that have lived to very old age, but your your grandmother's still alive. Um, so you know, I think thirty five years from fifty is easily you know kind of achievable for like providing you have a healthy lifestyle. So forty thousand pounds times thirty five years. That means you need to have saved one point four million pounds. Yeah, that's then the problem. That's then the problem, isn't it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> now I know some people pick up and say, "Oh, but if you've got that money and it's lasting thirty-five years, you'd invest it and take bits out." So it's probably not quite that high, but it's still a substantial amount of money. Quite so scary that, when you, when you that, that, isn't it? And that's what scares me about pensions: is is the amount of money that you actually need to be able to get the lifestyle that you think or, or that you want. Now, I, I think forty thousand pounds might be a bit toppy. It you know, is, because yeah. you're not going to have a mortgage to pay you you know the, the electricity bills are going to be smaller because there are not loads of kids just like leaving lights on and heaters on and stuff like that and um, but it is quite a scary scary number um which is why absolutely 20 year old kelly needs to start you know start saving money right now um but also we have got an incentive from the government to put money into pension schemes so a pension scheme is another tax advantage method of saving. Um, pension schemes are brilliant because any money you put into a pension, you put it in tax free. So say you're paying tax at the moment and you earn £100. Say you're paying tax at the basic rate of 20%. That means that normally £100, 20% will be taken off. You'd have £80 left over. If you put that money into a pension, you can put the full £100 into your pension and you won't be taxed on that £20. The government won't take the money off you if you put it into a pension scheme. So instantly, anything that you put into a pension fund is going to include the tax that the government is saying, we're not going to tax that on you anymore. So it's massively tax advantage to do that. Now, the downside of a pension is that the money's tied up for years. The money's tied up until you retire. And at the moment, the earliest you can retire is your mid fifties. So you can't touch your money until you get to that point. For most people, they'll have a workplace pension scheme. They'll be, they'll be opted in. So they will be putting money into a pension scheme, but it's always worth just doing some of those calculations. How much money do I think I need? And what's my pension fund actually gonna look like at the time at which I retire? And you're right, Kelly, when you said it earlier, at 20 is the best time to make that decision because you don't need to drip feed as much into your pension as you would at 30, at 40, at 50, at 60. And the later you leave it, the more you've then got to pay in proportion to get to that final end end goal, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I heard, um, I was actually reading online, someone someone did this, um, this kind of rough rule of thumb. I think it was actually Martin Lewis on the Money Saving Expert website. So if anyone does want kind of more details about anything we've talked about, that website is, a, is just a gold mine of information. And he said that the amount of money you need to put into your pension fund, um, based on when you start, so when you first pay money into your pension fund, you should half your age and put that percentage of your salary into a pension fund. So if you are 20, let's say 18, and you've just started work like Henry has, you should half his age, that's nine, he should put 9% of, of his salary into a pension fund. Now, with the way the auto enrollment works, it's kind of, I think that your employer puts 3%, you put 5%, he's nearly at that 9% at that age. So if he starts paying at 18, 
then it's absolutely set up for him to have the right amount of money when he retires. It's more scary kind of when you reach 50, if you haven't made any contributions whatsoever, half your age, 25, that the guidance is 25% of your income should go into a pension fund. And that's very, very tough to manage you know, with everything else you'd be managing at that point in time. Yeah, and I, you know, if only someone had told me that. I think probably deep down I knew like, there was probably more savings that I, I should have done. But again, you're young, you want to enjoy yourself, don't you? So it's, you know, e- easier, easier said than said than said than done. Um, Absolutely. And the, the the other thing linked with that, that we've mentioned a couple of times, which is really, I think, the last thing that I'm going to talk about, because I do appreciate that we're getting quite close to our, our time limits today, is we talked about the idea of interest and interest to compounding. And this is something that I think everyone learns at school, because everyone that I speak to says, oh, I know the difference between compound interest and simple interest. Okay, and compound interest or simple interest is where you calculate in, say, you've got £100 invested, you'll get, say, 10% interest, so you get £10 in year one. And then in year two, simple interest just says, calculate the interest based on that £100, you get £10 in year two, you get £10 every single year. Compound interest is where you add the interest to your capital every year. So year one, you've got £100, you earn £10 interest, you've now got 110 So in the next year, you've got £110. on that is £11 interest, you've now got 121. So every year you just add the interest onto the capital and the interest is calculated in the higher amount every single year. Now, most people can tell me that that is the case. What most people don't realise is how powerful that effect is. Uh, And it's something that's quite scary is how compounding seems, oh, you've got £11 compared to 10, that's £1 more, that's not very much. When you look at it over long periods of time, it makes a huge, huge difference. Now, there are loads of calculators online that can help you do this, but this is how we can actually build those amounts of money that you might need in a pension fund. And I've got I've got a little calculator in front of me, Kelly, so I'm going to do a few sums just to kind of show you kind of what I mean by the, the massive effect that it has. So I'm going to assume that 20-year-old Kelly put £100 a month into some kind of savings. Okay, so you've gone back in time, you told 20-year-old Kelly, put £100 a month away. And 20-year-old Kelly said, you're right, I'm going to do this, I'm not buying the sports car. Does that sound like the kind of thing 20-year-old Kelly would say? Yeah, probably not, but go on. (laughs) (laughs) um, Now, I'm going to put in an interest rate that's quite high. Okay, I'm going to put an interest rate of eight and a half percent in. Now, the reason that I've chosen eight and a half percent is because eight and a half percent is roughly the annual return that you would get if you invested in a standard kind of global stock market investment. And that's what most pension funds tend to invest in those kind of things. So eight and a half percent is the average that you get over the long term for that kind of investment. And I'm going to look at. First of all, 20-year-old Kelly put the money in and 20-year-old Kelly invested, say, money for 15 years. That was compounded on a regular basis. And, oh, I'm just going to say that you started with nothing. Okay. And after 15 years, that £10 a month um, ends up being £36,000. So £36,000 return over that 15-year time, 15 time period. Um, you would have invested a total 
of £18,000 worth of cash. And that compounding interest would have more than doubled it over a 15 month period of time. Now, that sounds years, quite good, doesn't years. it? Yeah, 15 over years. 15 years. Yeah. Okay. But the really powerful thing about compounding is I mean, we had what was that, £36,000. If I increase that time frame to 30 years, okay, so I've doubled the years. Okay, so that money from the early investment has now been in 30 years and it's compounded every year for 30 years. If I do the calculation again, any ideas how much money you would now have? 70, it doubled over 15 years. Yeah. Okay, so now 100, we've got... Sorry? 100,000? 100, £165,000. So you, you've gone from 36 to 165,000. So you're looking at what's that, a multiple of about five times? So you've invested and it's gone up by five times. Now that's what, 30 years. That's 20 year old Kelly has invested hundred pounds a month and it's worth 165,000 pounds. By the time that 20 year old Kelly has turned into 50 year old Kelly that we're gonna meet in a few years time. Um, if you're gonna to go to retirement age, so retirement age in the UK is what, 65? So that's a 45 year investment window. Okay, so we're adding another, what's that, another 10 years on? Just, just by 15 years of paying 100 pounds or if i keep paying the 100 pounds all the yeah. way to 65 so if you pay the 100 pounds a year from the age of 20 up until you retire at 65 yeah. okay you would cut you would have on the day you retired 624,000 pounds just 100 pounds a month just 100 pounds a month but huge assumption obviously investments can go up and down you are able to get an 8.5 percent return yeah, absolutely. And, and those kind of investments, those kind of returns do come with up and downs. OK, but on average, that's the kind of return that you'd expect to get. Now, right now, if you're auto enrolled into a pension at the age of 20, you're going to have that 3%, so 3 your employer pays, the 5% you pay. So money's already going in there. OK, and, you know, if you can maybe top it up a little bit <clears throat> or as you get older, you put more money in. OK, then those returns can be even bigger. The most important thing with compounding, as we can see from the numbers, you've gone, well, first 15 years, it went up to 36 grand. When you went to 30 years, it was five times bigger, 165. When you just added two more, 10 more years, you were then up to 624,000 pounds. Massive, massive increase in values. And that's due to the time that the money's been invested. OK, so compounding we all know how to calculate it, but the massive effect of compounding is the length of time that you have money invested. So that one of the things I know Martin Lewis has been talking about this loads it, it is investing money in your pension. Make sure that you're thinking about it right now. Make sure that 20 year old Kelly is focusing on do I need to do it? And the downside of a pension, the money's tied up until you retire. So if you need the money beforehand to buy a house or to you know, help you to raise children, it may be best not doing it. So it's got to be sure you're happy to lock it up. But you know, if, if those are the kind of, you know, that those kind of returns are if you're thinking about it when you're young and doing it for a long period of time. Yeah, I think as well, we were sort of, it was easier to opt out yeah, and we also, the company that I worked for for quite a long time, didn't, you know, there wasn't auto-enrollment. And actually, the only way you could pay into a pension was through a salary sacrifice. So yep. I think, yes, you know, in my defence, in 20-year-old, 20, 20 to 40-odd-year-old Kelly's defence, you know, there were periods of my working life where actually it wasn't very 
generous it was always to a salary sacrifice that you would have to have put into a pension and therefore the priority just wasn't the priority wasn't there yes I still could have reflected and made a small amount and as you say Dave it's actually even just a small amount say 50 pound a month is that effective compounding and even as an accountant like we learn about compounding and discounting in some of the um, units and the exams that we study I think because from a business point of view you're looking at maybe like a five-year project or a 10-year project you never really get to the point where you kind of you know, see that impact and I don't know you even reflected on you know someone who teaches financial yep. management you kind of like look at that graph why did I not show myself that graph um, I wish someone had <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a beautiful it's graph where it just shows it, it just shows that over a period of time you know what how much you would invest and, then, and if you're investing 100 pounds a month it's a straight line you know, as it's increased by hundred pounds, and then it shows what the amount with the compounded interest on it is, and it it, it just curves upwards. And the longer it's there, the, the the bigger the gap is between the value of what your investment is and the, the actual amount you've invested. So it's it's crazy, and I, I would encourage anyone that's listening or anyone that's watching right now just to to look up you know a graph of compounding interest. Okay, I'll put a link in the show notes to um, to a website that you can go and you can actually play around with some numbers, but it's absolutely crazy. Um, yeah, crazy what that effect is. It's something I know that I think Einstein commented on and said that you know it, it's just a truly incredible thing, the power of compounding. You know, and this is the guy that came up with the theories of the universe. So, you know, and, and that impressed him. So, yeah, crazy. Excellent. Well, we have reached our time, Kelly. So I hope you've hope you've enjoyed this evening joining the the forum. Um, ben will be back next time, but Kelly, you're always welcome to to come onto the podcast. Um, it, it's always you know it's always good to you know have someone join me and you know talk about these things. So yes, thank- that, thanks very much for me reflecting on all the things that I should have done <laughs> when <laughs> I was twenty. So hopefully at least one person uh, who listens to this uh, who might be a bit younger than me might just take that bit of time to do a little bit more, you know, sort of research and, and perhaps think about those kind of longer term things. Cause yeah. So thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. But it's it's something that I think that we all should be encouraged to do and Absolutely. I wish they did more of yeah, it at I school would, yeah definitely um, you know and it's something that I know at first intuition that we've actually um engaged a financial advisor to work with our staff to look at what their personal situations are and are they doing enough right now are they making the kind of decisions right now that are going to help them longer term because you know the last thing that we want to hear is that you know someone's left our employment and you know they're financially ruined because they didn't know how to manage their their finances. But on that note, um, we need to head off. But um, thank you to everyone that's listened. So thank you to everyone that has downloaded. Thank you to everyone that um, has chosen to to listen to us. And um, if you do think that there is someone that you know that would be really, really interested in things that we talk about, please feel free to share the podcast. Um, it's always good to hear kind of new people listening. If you've got any ideas of things that you want to hear on the podcast, please drop us a note. So you can email Ben, you can email me, you can leave a message on whatever podcast service you have in terms of just say, oh, thanks for the podcast. Could you please do something on? Uh, and, you know, we love to hear your ideas and, you know, providing it is 
kind of related to kind of the world of us as um, as accountancy students, then we're more than happy to, to look at new topics and get guests on. But have a great week to everyone. We will see you next time. So Ben will be back. Um, until then, stay safe and keep studying. Bye.